As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is The James Altucher Show. You've had a podcast for a long time. Yeah. You have a lot of listeners. A lot of people know who you are. You probably get really you know, nice compliments all the time about your podcast. Mm-hmm. When do you start to say, okay, I'm a little less ambitious now. I don't need as, I'm not going to go all out to have, like you've done a really good job creating your, your audience. When do you say, okay, I'm not going to put 20 hours a week into building audience anymore. I'm going to put maybe an hour or two a weekend or, yeah. or zero. In. It's funny. I just started doing that and it's been this very difficult internal conversation, not always internal, but conversation because I see other podcasters or other social media people and I, and I hate social media, but I'm going to use them by way of comparison because I do use them by way of comparison. Yes. And I go, man, look at this person has so much engagement. Maybe I should have done something like that or should do more like that. And then I go, no, I've got kids. I don't like creating for Twitter or for Instagram or for TikTok. What's the point? Even if I doubled my audience by executing a brilliant strategy doing this, do I need to do that? Financially, no. Okay, so then what's the reason I'm doing it? Ego. Is that a good reason to do it? Probably not. But it's not a terrible reason. I mean, look, if that's what you find fulfilling, cool. Oh, wait, I have to take that time away from my two young kids? Not worth it. I mean, so you've reached some tipping point in your ambition. Like, I remember when you switched podcasts, like you were doing The Art of Charm, and then you left that and restarted from scratch the Jordan Harbinger show. And you did an incredibly good job building up. Like you were, you were the definition of hustling. Like you were calling podcasters mm-hmm. like me and saying, Hey, let's do a podcast swap. And you were, you were, you were very proactive, like asking me like, Hey, what could we do together to, and you explained the situation and you wanted to get your audience up. And I'm sure a lot of people helped you. You were very good at asking. Yeah, and I had to much be. better than I would be at at asking. Like, like it, it didn't feel like a drag. Like, oh no, I gotta figure out how to return. Crap! Jordan I Harvard owe him one. This sucks. I'm dreading. Yeah, I have those days too. Yeah, I had to be good at asking because I was like, I'm in trouble, man. This is a, that was a dire situation, right? I was starting from scratch, and I thought I spent 11 years building my first show. Is it possible to get back to where I am now? And and that show, you know, this is before podcast ads. If you think about it, podcast advertising really did kick up in the last five years. Before that, it was kind of small. You were kind yeah. of in trouble if you were living off your podcast ads. So I had to reboot the whole show, pay my team. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll make like a modest, like a low six figures. That's cool. It'll, that's totally fine. 
And then advertising started to really take off and the show started to take off. And I was like, okay, good. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm lucky I had that, but I had to do that. So that wasn't like, oh, I'm kind of shy. I'm feeling a little weird about that. I was like, I'm going to starve to death if I don't ask for help. Like, what were, what were the, like, again, asking is hard. Like a lot of people will pour their life into writing a book, for instance, mm -hmm. and their publisher will say, okay, now you need to call up all your podcaster friends and ask them to go on the podcast. For, for me, this is impossible. I cannot yeah. do it. So <laughs> what, what would you say were the most effective methods you used really for asking for, for help and, and which things helped the most? So I, it's funny because I put this in, I actually put this into my free course as a module because people are like, I'm I just not good at asking. So one of the things that I do is I tell people that you, you start by helping other people. You dig the well before you get thirsty, right? So that when you have to ask somebody for something, it doesn't feel as bad because you're like, well, I've helped them before. It's not like this weird thing where I'm coming out of nowhere. And I'm like, hey, James, remember me from high school? Fun times. Anyway, I'm selling multi-level marketing company protein shakes. You want to be a distributor? Like you're not doing that, you know? So help other people. You, you build a little bit of referral currency, so to speak. It's not as weird. You're not coming to people with a tail between your legs like you haven't talked to them in five years. Now you want something. The other thing you can do that I didn't need to do as much because I'd already built this sort of infrastructure of like having helped a bunch of other people in the past or at least, you know, kept in touch with people well. One, one cheat though, when I give this to people to try for themselves is I say, what if you ask for something for someone else? to just sort of kick the rust off of your asking muscles. So like if you really need help with something, like you need your book distributed. Okay. That's a that's tough a ask. Idea. But if you, if you know you're going to have to do that in a year, cause you're writing the book, start by going, Hey James, I know you've got an eye for art and you bought a bunch of art. Do you think this is a Banksy? Who would I even ask? And you're like, oh yeah, shoot me this thing. So I'm asking you for this sort of low stakes thing, or you might go, I don't know. And I go, oh, well, cool. I just thought I'd shoot you a photo of this thing. I thought I saw it looked like a Banksy, whatever. Another cheat that you can do is you can ask for help for someone else. So let's say that you need to ask for help from somebody and you know that somebody's really good at, they work for Microsoft and they design, I don't know, touch screens. You're asking them for help with something else, but you're like, hey, my mom just got this Microsoft Surface and it freezes a lot. Can you, any idea what might be causing that? And he goes, oh, let me, you know, sure, I'll help you. Cause you're going to ask for help for your mom. Why, why yeah. wouldn't you? It's your mom. So it feels easier to ask your neighbor or whatever to help out your mom with something than it is to ask your neighbor like, hey, can you promote my thing? Can you do something for me? So ask for help for somebody else and or ask for something really low stakes where if the person says no, it's not a big deal, but also it's really easy for them to say yes. Like if I, if I send you a photo of a street sign that's painted and I say, is this a Banksy? You might go, oh, I've seen that before in a catalog. That looks like a Banksy or no, 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 no. This is nothing I've ever seen, but maybe you could ask this. Maybe you didn't. Here's a guy who works at Sotheby's. He would know, you know, that kind of thing. By the way, what happened to all that art? Remember that art you bought, that big estate sale? You bought all that art? Yeah. So, so, so the story is, and it's, it's interesting you ask, because I was just thinking about this. Supposedly, it was some Cornell art professor who collected art that, like an Andy Warhol, for instance, or a Dolly, or even mm -hmm. a Picasso, 
but there was no provenance, meaning there was no proof that it was a Picasso. Right. So there's a lot of, you know, Picasso made something like 60,000 works of art. A lot of things don't, you know, the Picasso Foundation or family office or whatever doesn't acknowledge that these are Picassos. So he collected these things, I guess, in the hopes that maybe they would turn out to be real or whatever. But what I'm suspecting is that they're all fraudulent. That's and fascinating. Wow. Yeah, and, I, and, they're, and they're really good. Like I even, I have a Banksy or quote unquote Banksy. I right, have I, Picasso, I have a Jackson Pollock. I have, um, oh, n- nothing. I have a Jackson Pollock over there in my office, but it's not really a Jackson Pollock. Right. And we had an insurance agent come and put an insurance value on uh-huh. all these things. The only thing that had, the only paintings that had any value that weren't, that we owned, that they were not part of this collection. There were three paintings painted by North Korean artists. And just because the North Korean aspect gave them some financial value, but nothing else had any value at all. And now that doesn't mean she was an art expert. She just said if without uh, a, tra- uh, a history of where this art comes from, we have no idea if it's fraudulent okay. or not. My That's guess is interesting. It's all fraudulent. And I'm curious, did one person do it? Did many people do it? I'm sure there's like a story behind each painting, like yeah. how, who, who are, is, did the forgery and what's their backgrounds. I kind of just want to like do a documentary tracking it all down. I think that's like a, a fun idea. It is a fun idea. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, uh, one, I have a lot of North Korean art cause I went to North Korea a bunch and I've always bought art there cause it's better than the crappy souvenirs you can get that are like ceramic North Korea flags. Uh, so I wonder if that stuff's worth anything because everything you get there is hand painted, right? Like even if it's not fine art, it's a propaganda poster, but it's painted by a human because they don't print them. They have unlimited free human labor, so they make people paint them. Um, huh. And I wonder what those are worth. And I have like, what is it called when you stitch something and it turns into a giant flowered landscape? Like cross stitch, but it's not on that plastic background. It's like somebody is painstakingly crafting this giant floral landscape out of different color thread. It's something like that. So I have that stuff that I get that I've given to my mom and whatnot. But I think that would be really interesting. And I wonder if this is an art professor, was he a skilled artist himself? Because what a plot twist if he was the one who was forging all these and the reason that he had them was he couldn't sell them because they were forgeries. And he was like, I'm just not gonna tell anybody. I'm just gonna keep all these pieces of art up here. What if it's him? It, it it could be, or I'm not even totally sure he exists. It could be the auction house was doing something fraudulent. So, because oh, I was buying man. it through a fraudulent uh, through an auction house, and there was all these supposed bugs in their website, and that's how I got them like super cheap. Like they didn't send, they, nobody knew the auction was happening right then, and we just happened <laughs> to be quote unquote lucky, and we didn't spend that much money because again, we don't know if there's any value. But uh, here, like here's an example that we got in this auction. There's a menu from Studio 54, which is this famous New York City club in the 80s. And, you know, everybody famous would, would go there all the time. Yeah. And basically, um, uh, I, like Andy Warhol did a sketch on the back of this menu uh, uh, of from Studio 54. It's like an odd, if that was a forgery, it's like an odd con- conception even of a forgery. Mm-hmm. So like maybe, maybe that might be like real, but it's not really worth anything. Cause it's just a sketch on the back of the menu, but I don't know, but I, I really want to get to the bottom of this story and, um, just haven't, just haven't done it. And, but it reminds me one time I was, um, I was single and I was in a bookstore at Barnes and Noble in New York city. It was at the Starbucks in the bookstore and the girl sitting next to me was drawing something and it was really amazing. And I said, Oh, that's amazing what you're drawing. And 
but you know, I was trying to talk to her. Sure. And she, we, we ended up talking and she tells me this incredible story where she said she worked for, and she named a famous artist. I didn't, I hadn't heard of him, but when I searched, he was like super famous. His paintings would go for like, let's say a hundred thousand dollars a painting. Wow. And she said what he would do was he would take photographs of basically these naked women in like very exotic, you know, places like in nature or whatever. And then her job was to paint. He would blow up the photograph to be like, you know, five feet by five feet. And her job was to paint over the photograph exactly what the photograph was. So <laughs> it, it, so and then he would sell them pretending it was a super realistic painting of these nudes. Like he wouldn't admit, he wouldn't say to anybody, this is really a photograph underneath it. And another artist painted over it to duplicate the photograph. Wow. And, then he'd sell, and, and her point, her, what she said is, he, after you, he sells it for a hundred thousand, it's not like anyone's going to chip away at the paint. True. To see that there's a photograph underneath. And so he would get away with it. And as for, for all I know, he's still getting away with it. And, wow. and I, I wrote about this without naming her. I wrote about this in a column I had in the financial times. And she, I, I started getting death threats from her friends because they're like, how, how could you out her like this? And I said, I, I didn't name her name, and, but they said, she, everybody's suspicious of her now and she's denying it. And, and then she said, you need to meet me. Like, I need to know why you did this. And I did ask her out when we met, but she said, there is no way. So mission accomplished. You guys ended up going out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it was, it was not a friendly, it was no. not a friendly moment, no. but, um, but that was like 20 years ago. So, uh, it was, it was, I'm, I'm sure she's on top bigger and better and more productive things than helping some, you know, criminal artists. But right. There's just a lot of weird things going on out there. And you know this because you do podcasts about it. It's funny you should mention this. So this morning, I got an email from a former show guest who is a really, really, really good art forger. Uh, formerly, really? I should say. Like a really, really good art forger. So what he did, I'm trying to remember the story because I did a podcast with him years and years ago. His name is Ken Pareni. And what he did was he, he turned out to be a really good painter and he just wanted to paint. And he ended up getting involved with like the mafia back in the 90s or whatever it was. And he's painting these old masters, which is like, I don't know, you paint a ship on a stormy water or something. And he was doing it so well that all of these art connoisseur, whatever, auction house people were going, this is a lost, I don't know, Rembrandt or whatever. I don't know who the old masters are or whatever, the, the Rembrandt, whatever. And they'd be blown away. And then they would get auctioned off. And I know a lot of people are thinking, wait a minute, there's all these ways to tell if a painting is fake. Come on. He had all these really cool ways to fake genuine elements of a painting. So he would go to thrift stores or flea markets. He would go and buy any framed painting because the wood is old, the canvas is old, the staples are old, if there's even staples in there, nails, whatever it is. And he would either paint over the old one on that canvas in the same style so that he didn't have to like, Bake the, you know, he's not making fake frames, fake nails, fake everything. He just finds old stuff and then recreates it, or he would get the old paint off somehow. And there was, what was this one thing that was so cool that he did? So apparently, old paintings, if you put them under a black light, the varnish shows up really kind of weird and creepy and green because it's, I don't know, it's old varnish. It's got some chemical in it, whatever. So what he would do is he would take an old, he would take a solvent, put it over a, an old painting that he got at a flea market dissolve the varnish that was over the top of the top of the painting 
drip it into a container and then he would paint that over one of his forgeries. So the auction house people would be like, oh, we're going to put this under our special impossible to fake blacklight that shows if the varnish is old. Sure enough, the varnish was old. It was just moved and put on a new fake painting. And he did that with old frames, old nails, old canvas. And so his paintings, he says to this day, he'll look at an art catalog and it'll be like, we're auctioning off this beautiful, you know, 1845, 19, whatever it is, painting. And he's like, nope, I freaking made that. I, that's mine. I made it. So what, why did he call you today? Uh, I emailed him a long time ago to see what was going on because speaking of small world and, and big podcast or whatever, I get this tweet from a woman who is like, who has the same last name as him, but is, is very dark black African, like American looking gal. Okay. Like very, and, and he's a very white looking pasty dude. And she says, by the way, I just heard the episode. I love your show. I've been listening for years. I just heard the episode with my dad who adopted me when I was a baby. I had no idea that this was what, how all of this went down. She's like, I knew he was an artist and that he did something shady, but I had no idea that he was like into it at this level. And she wow. found out from my podcast that she already listened to it. It's not like he sent it to her or somebody else sent it to her. She was already a fan of the show. Her dad pops into the feed and she's like, what? Listens to it and finds out that her dad is like this super deep with the, you know, mafia art forger back in the day before she was born. Crazy. And so he never told her, he never, like, what, is he, what did he do after that? What did she think he did? That's a really good question. I'm not sure what he did after that. I know he paints commissions, but he's very sort of hush-hush about what the commissions are. And I'm not going to accuse the guy of anything because I don't know if he's doing anything. But man, would it be tempting to continue doing what you're doing because he was living the high life. He was hanging out with Andy Warhol. He was hanging out with a lot of these famous artists. And they were like, wow, you're really talented and you're underrated. And so one of the reasons he started doing the forgeries is because he just needed the money. And that was it. Well, how much would he get paid? Like, the, how much would the mafia pay him? So that's a really good question. I don't remember all the exact... This, I did this interview probably like four plus years ago, so it's a little bit fuzzy. But I remember one of the things that the, the mafia was kind of a trap because it wasn't like... Yes, he was painting these things and he was getting them listed in auction houses. The mafia wanted more of like an industrial pipeline. It was like, finish this now, do this other one, you know, and they're not like we're going to be really generous with you because we can. They're more like, you work for us now, and if you don't want like that, we're going to you know, beat you up or whatever, uh, or worse. And so the feds are chasing him. The mafia is chasing him because he eventually just disappears. He goes to Europe, and he's like, I'll be, you know, he just slips out. He knows they're watching him. He just slips out, goes to Europe, and stays there, I think, in Amsterdam for like a year or two. He just didn't want and any part of it. That was enough for things to just die down. Yeah, I think they just back. went, eh, we're on to the next scam, you know, but he he had to watch his back for a while. I, he was making tens of thousands of dollars, I would imagine, per painting, because these, one, they take a long time. I don't I do not do any art myself, but I, I apparently these things take weeks to months to really do it right. And, you know, it's got to dry and it's got to be done perfectly well. I don't think you just settle down in an afternoon and paint an old master forgery and then bake it in an oven the next day, and you're good. I think there's more, more to it.
Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldicher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, I'm going to match story for story because, so this is the case of a woman who didn't know what her father did. So I had a, a friend, she was like my personal assistant for a while, and she, you know, when I met her, she she told me, oh, I don't have, 
she, she was just talking about her family. I don't have the best relationship with my dad, but you may have heard of him. He's like this famous poker player slash backgammon player, whatever. And I'm like, oh yeah, I've heard of him. And completely separately, about a year later, um, I'm meeting with a bunch of business guys who are somewhat in the collectibles business, but like mm -hmm. high end, super high end collectibles. And they tell me that about this guy who's secretly, like very quietly, and this is like maybe almost 10 years ago, they tell me about this guy who's actually the richest guy in the world. Because what he did in the 80s, in the early 80s, when every country in South America was one at a time going bankrupt, he would go down in the country and say, okay, you need cash. You need American mm -hmm. dollars to pay down your debts. I will give you cash, but you have to sell me all of your gold at 10 cents on the dollar. <laughs> so he bought, like, like he would go down to, let's just say, Argentina. I don't know which countries he went to. He would go to Argentina and he would say, you know, gold's worth, let's say, $500. I'll pay you $50 per ton or whatever, whatever it is, <laughs> yeah. ounce, and, and, you, and I'll buy all of your gold. And, and apparently then he brought all, I don't know how he shipped things around, but he brought all of the gold to Las Vegas. He rented out an entire hotel in Las Vegas and filled up the entire hotel with gold bars Holy from all of these South American countries. Cow. And the reason I know this, and the reason I know that it's not BS is that I was talking, the person who told me this story was the guy who counted the gold for him. He's like <laughs> a, a collector who... He's like an expert collector, one of the most experts on collectibles on the planet. And so he was hired to count the gold and make sure it was all legit. Wow. And so he saw the gold and he said, look, this guy then, you know, did this, this, this and became the richest guy in the world. I don't know if he still is, you know, compared to like the Elon Musk and sure. so on. But he was the richest guy in the world. And I asked, I, I went back to my friend, let's call it, let's say her name was Janet. Um, I went back to Janet. And I said, do you, what, what did you say your dad does again? And she's like, well, he, he plays poker. He plays games. He's like a gambling guy in Las Vegas. And I'm like, did you know that he's actually the richest guy on, on the planet? And, and she's like, what are you talking about? And she had no idea about any of this. And she didn't even have like such a great relationship with her dad. Sure. She's like, I never heard any of this, but it is weird. Like that, you know, every now and then she gets a sense he has some money. Like for instance, when she visits him, he has an entire apartment building with like hundreds of apartments and it's just him and his friends. Like you, you, his friends visit and they just pick up keys for any of the apartments and just stay for as long as they want. Like that's just as a weird life. And that um, sounds like a money laundering because it's a bad investment. So I'm like, okay, why are you keeping an empty apartment building? That's like money laundering stuff right there. Yeah, or or he just had so much extra money yeah. and he just wanted his friends to visit him whenever they wanted. Yeah. He just left the building open, you know, pick up keys for whatever rooms are available and so on. So, but then after that, guess what? She rebuilt her relationship with her dad and basically stays with him most of the time now. But that's also an extreme story of someone who didn't know what, what her father did. There, there's a uh, lot like of my that. My kids don't know what I do, but they don't care. So that's yeah, yeah, that's different. It's different if they they could know and they simply don't care. That's different. That's right. a different story. Um, right. My three year old, somebody asked him what your daddy does, and he says my daddy talks into the microphone. So he kind of knows. He kind of knows. right. He's figured it out that that, that that talking to the microphone makes makes some money. Yeah. But and uh, you know, this is an interesting thing because this comes up a lot with AI now. AI could of course, compose music that is indistinguishable from Mozart, can mm -hmm. probably paint paintings indistinguishable from a Van Gogh or whatever. 
so, so could probably write stories that are decent. And so, so all of these skills are becoming commodities, which is unfortunate, but what's not going to become a commodity is exactly the stuff we're talking about right now. Like living an interesting life and mm -hmm. having interesting experiences that can't be commoditized. Like sure. AI could make up stuff, but the things AI makes up are still based on what it's been trained on. Sure. So it would be hard in, you know, every year there's new sets of unique and interesting experiences on the frontier of interesting experience. And so to live a life, let's say worth living, we still have the edge and we always will have the edge over AI because where are the humans actually living and having interesting experiences? And AI is not going to have an interesting experience. I think that's true. I mean, there's a reason that true crime is a popular genre. And I'm sure fake crime and fictional crime is popular, but true crime has really taken the world by storm. Why? Because it's oh, yeah, true. It's the most popular podcast category, for instance. By far. So if that's the most popular podcast category, let's... In, in, because it's true, people are going to value things that are not created by a machine that are real in a certain way. It doesn't mean that most things won't be able to be created by a machine. You know, look, a machine can probably eventually do my voice. It'll be able to tell humorous stories, but it won't, those stories won't be based on my real life experience. Most likely they'll be based on the AI generated. This is a thing that Jordan Harbinger would have done back in the day, maybe. We'll see. So, so there's that, but it's less interesting for a lot of folks because it's not real. And yeah, so you're right. The lived experience is going to be something that people then value possibly even more once there's unlimited amounts of AI generated stuff. There's a reason that elephant painting, you know, you ever seen where it's like an elephant painted this that's worth something because an elephant did it. If a human did it, you'd be like, this is not really a good talented person who painted this. This is a, right. This is pretty basic. But since an elephant took the brush in its trunk and then painted it, it's worth a freaking fortune. It's going to be something along those lines. There might be, our jobs will change, but they won't necessarily go away, at least not in the short term. I, I think Derek Thompson at The Atlantic was writing about this. He's like, you know, my job's not going to go away. I'm just going to have to turn B minus AI generated articles that are written in my voice into A minus AI uh, prompted articles that are edited by me and then... I add my actual flair to it and make up the certain X factor that is what he writes about that AI can't do. Well, and also he can go out and experience things. Like if he's writing about the war in Ukraine, he can go to Ukraine and experience it and right. then write about that experience. AI will never be able to do that. And, you know, this is always, a, a you know, we were talking earlier about ambition and, and so on. To some sense, in some sense, when we're a podcaster, we're busy podcasting, so we're not living as interesting a life as maybe we did before. Yeah. Like before my podcast, I would, you know, try building other companies or I would, you know, go go broke or I would, you know, go on this trip and weird things would happen. You would get kidnapped and talk yourself right. out of being a <laughs> hostage. Like you don't do that now because no. now you're doing a bunch of podcasts. And I got week. kids. I'm trying not to get kidnapped. I got kids. Right, right. So so things change as you get older. And, uh, uh, I wonder if you ever wonder like, Hey, okay, I'm interviewing all these people who have interesting life experiences. Do I need to, like, sometimes I wonder, do I need to kind of try again having, you know, I feel like I've taken a little step back from having, you know, interesting experiences. Yeah. I, I try to, it, it is hard. I don't go to North Korea anymore. It's too dangerous. 
Can't go to China, especially for me. It's too dangerous. But I, I just, especially for you. Yeah, oh, because you you do podcasts about China, right? And like, I'm not gonna be on. I'm definitely I'm definitely on their shit list at this point. Talking about the Communist Party and the shortcomings and news from China that's not supposed to make it out of China. You know, there's a lot of stuff like that on the Jordan Harbinger show feed that they don't like. I've had Uyghur activists on there, human rights lawyers. You know, they're they're not gonna they they don't, they're not gonna like that at all. And I don't want to risk hostage diplomacy with me at the front of that. I don't, I don't need that. Right. So, but I, I just got back from Morocco. I went to the Amazon, but I'm going to Mongolia. You know, I've got a lot of things that are on the, on that are the sort of like off the beaten path, but yeah, it's not the same as when I was back in the day showing up in Yugo, former Yugoslavia with a backpack and a little bit of cash and being like, I'm just going to sleep in this park tonight. You know, that, that was, that was stuff from my twenties that I can't slash won't do anymore. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I, I not, you know, like I, I had, you know, a lot of interesting experiences in, in my forties or whatever, like, you know, particularly when I threw out all my belongings and would just stay in Airbnbs. Yeah. I remember that. that you, the duffel but, bag days you lived in the, with a duffel bag. Yeah. And so, so I, I wonder about all of these things, but I've just been, I've just been more tired lately, not tired <laughs> physically, but not as ambitious in my brain. Yeah. But I, I like podcasting. Like how many podcasts do you do a week right now? I do three. I mean, I've released three, right? I, but it's a full-time job for you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't do anything else. I play with my kids and I do the show. You know, I, I record two interviews or well, it depends. I release two interviews. I do my Friday advice stuff where people write in. And, uh, and then in 2023, I'm going to do more of these. I do call them skeptical Sundays where we talk about like, something that most people either don't know about or hold dear, like the Olympics. And we're like, this is why the Olympics are a freaking sham or energy drinks. These things are terrible for you. Here's the science behind it. Or here's a bunch of banned foods in the United States and why they're banned or what's the ingredient that's like banned, that. stuff like that. And it's sort of like, it's kind of like Adam ruins everything. If you remember that show only, no. uh, that was, was a show with a comedian, Adam Conover, and he would sort of talk about why, certain things were bad or bad for the environment or bad for you or destructive or didn't do the thing you thought they did. So it's, it's kind of like that only I've got a fact checker and a comedian who does a show with me and he'll go deep into like, we'll, we'll talk about how psychic readings work or how, what tarot cards really are, which is, you know, exactly what you think it is, nothing or an excuse to give somebody a cold read that you are using uh, you're using the cards as a breaking off point and a distraction for them, but really you're just looking at their body language and nonverbal communication and trying to read between the lines and s saying general truisms that apply to pretty much anybody. And they're like, wow, you know, so we expose that kind of stuff. So I'm doing more of that in 2023. Uh, well, people love this. How, how do people get away with psychic readings where, like I had a friend who went to a psychic reading where supposedly her, she went with her sister and the psychic knew the sister was coming, but didn't know my friend was coming. And the psychic did a reading on my friend. And, and she says he was saying all these things that were like incredibly accurate mm -hmm. that she had never told anyone. Yeah. Like, how do they it, like, is it just that he's saying a lot and she's only filtering the stuff yeah. that's true or like yeah, what, what's there, going on there? There's a few things going on in any sort of psychic reading. So one is cold reading, which is where you either use things you see on a person or you state general truisms. And I'll give you an example in a second. The other thing that they do 
uh, is they will throw out a ton of stuff and then rely on what is essentially confirmation bias. So they'll say, so if you look at a psychic on TV, they'll say, I'm getting somebody's name starts with a T. Is it a Tom? Is it a Tim? And someone in the corner goes, Tom, my husband, he just died recently. And then the guy focuses on her. What they won't show you with a psychic that's doing a, sh- a lot, li- like if you go to a live show where there's a mentalist who's telling you it's a trick, it's not a real psychic. What he's doing is he goes, T, Tom, Tim, nobody. There's also a J, maybe it's more of a J. Oh, I see. It's, it's actually it's actually an I, not a T. Okay, I didn't see the bottom. And then someone goes, oh, that's me. So they're shifting, they're throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. And a mentalist who's actually doing tricks will just do that. And in what you think during the show is, wow, I can't believe he got that. But then what you realize is, well, wait a minute. If you play the tape and you're looking for it, he said like five things before one of them caught on. He also is talking to a room full of 40 people. So you're, So the natural next question is, what if there's only one person in front of you? Well, sometimes they have, I mean, aside from blatant tricks, like they have an earpiece where somebody's Googling people's names and feeding them that, psychics have been caught doing that, or there's a screen that they can see where somebody's feeding them information based on the person's name or whatever's available in Google. Aside from tricks like that, I remember one, one guy who was a buddy of mine, Actually, I shouldn't even say a buddy of mine, a guy that knows a buddy of mine. This is, I had very little contact with this guy. He goes, man, I didn't believe in psychics until this weekend. And I went to a college career, not a career fair, but some sort of fair. And they had a psychic and the psychic did a reading and it was incredibly accurate. And I said, really, that's amazing, but it's not psychic. And he's like, I don't know, man. She got a lot of stuff right about me. And this is an Indian dude who's a graphic designer. That's all I know. Okay. So I said, well, I'll do, it's cold reading what this person did to you. I'll do the same thing to you and it's a trick. And he goes, okay, go ahead. And I go, all right, so you're an Indian dude, you're a graphic designer, your parents, I, you know, they come from an, a place where they really wanted you to be a different kind of professional. Maybe they wanted you to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer and your siblings and your, your cousins and your family, they all have strived towards those professions and Maybe your parents don't voice it as much as they feel it, but they're a little bit disappointed slash confused at the direction you went. Because graphic design, it's not really something they were familiar with in the old country. They really feel like maybe you're not setting yourself up for success in the future. And you also harbor a little bit of guilt, like maybe you disappointed your parents because you went into this, but you knew in your heart of hearts that this was going to be better for you because of medicine and, and law and engineering weren't a fit for you. And he was his mind was fucking blown, dude. But here's the thing. Every Indian kid has a sister or a cousin who went to become a doctor, lawyer, engineer. And it's so it's a famous cliche that Indian parents want their kids to become doctors, lawyers, or engineers, and in pre- preferably in that order. And that if you do anything other than that, especially something that's artistic, your parents are going to be like, what are you doing? You're never going to make as much money as your brother, your sister, your cousin, whatever. And it's always going to be a point where people are going to say, why'd you let your kid do that? And then the kid's going to feel guilty. Every Indian guy that I know has that exact same issue. Every single one. And somehow none of them know that every other Indian guy that they know also right. has that same issue. This guy thought I was a freaking psychic. I just pulled that crap out of my ass knowing that general shit, shit about every Indian person in America anywhere.
I am so glad you convinced me that the family car should be the Defender 110. It is so beautiful inside. It's so comfortable. And it just feels indestructible. Yes, it really is. I've been waiting a long time for the new model to come out. The Defender 110, I'm telling you, it's my favorite car of all times. It's my third one. You know, I have stories of going off road. The guy managed the group. He was like, what are you doing in this beautiful car? I'm like, I'm going off road. He's like, are you sure? Because you can use one of ours. And then they look like Mad Max cars. I'm like, no, 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 no. we're going to do this. And he was shocked. Wow. Well, it's great because the Defender has been reimagined for 21st century adventure and its unparalleled off-road ability as well as its robust interior are invaluable whether you're headed towards uncharted territory or just a weekend of exploration. The Defender 110 tackles challenging surroundings with absolute confidence. The SUV conveys strength outside and in, featuring peerless technology like an intuitive driver display and an award-winning infotainment system. That's my favorite part, to keep you connected no matter where the journey takes you. Adventure is unique to everyone, and so is the Defender. Choose from the two-door Defender 90, the four-door Defender 110, or the larger Defender 130 with the ability to seat up to eight passengers. You'll find uncompromising performance in all three. So pack up and go even further with the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS, HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely going to use HIMS for now. Not on. that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that? There's a whole section just with my name on it. Hims.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hims.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So essentially, to do a cold read is essentially not only to pick up on stuff, but statistics. Because you know yeah. that on average, this, this, and this, yeah. then this must be his parents' reaction. Yeah. I mean, I mean, stand-up comedians actually do the exact same thing. They do the They're same doing thing. crowd work with the audience. Like I could imagine um, you know, somebody who had an Indian accent who was Indian 
and and the comedian says, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a graphic designer. The comedian will certainly will instantly say, boy, you were a disappointment to your mom, weren't yeah. you? And you know, the guy will start laughing instead of being amazed, but he'll say, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, one trick I always used to do uh, was you could always tell how long a couple's been together in a comedy club. Basically, for every inch they are sitting apart, yeah. that's how many years they've been together. hundred percent. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's all, it almost, I would say it worked like 90% of the time. Didn't work a hundred percent of the time, but I could tell who was on a first date. I could tell who's been together, like, let's say six to 10 years, who's been together like 20 years. And, you know, even like older people who are sitting one inch from each other, they've only been together like one year. Mm -hmm. So people would be amazed when you it was harder to guess but it always worked for some reason. I don't know why that is. And if they've been together like a really long time, they were sitting across from each other rather than sitting next to each other. So yeah, it, that comedy and cold reading have a ton in common then, right? And and also, you know, there's other sort of psychic tricks to cold reading. I, I've done an episode about this as well from a guy who used to be a phone psychic. And he talked uh, about how it's all just a trick. And, you know, back in the day, well, of course it's a trick, but back in the day, they used to have caller ID before anybody else had caller ID and they'd find your area code. And this is when everybody had landline. So they go, Oh, three, one, three. And you know, they wouldn't say, Oh, three, one, three area code, but they would think it and they would see three and three would say, okay, this is Detroit. And then the guy would go, Hmm, you are, you are either in your life or geographically or both. You're on the, you're on the edge. You're on the border of something. Well, wait a minute you're actually, you're near water. And someone's like, I'm in Detroit. I'm in the Detroit River. And next to me is Canada. And the psychic's like, oh, that's the border I see. But also in your life, you're on the edge of something. Of course you are. You're calling a freaking psychic hotline. Why else are you calling? Right. You have a decision or you're on the edge of something. Naturally, this is why. And so this kind of cold reading is very, very common. You might pick up on something somebody's wearing. You might pick up on something that somebody uh, ha has. I mean, look, somebody might walk in wearing a... Uh, an adult might walk in and they've got a little polo that says, you know, the Saratoga Knights. And you're like, oh, that's a local high school team. That's a parent. They don't even notice they're wearing this stuff. It's not there. They didn't go to high school there unless the shirt looks like it's 20 years old, right? It's probably not a nephew uh, or a niece, but you don't know that. So you're the psychic and you go, there's young people in your life that are very important to you. How would you know that? Well, you're wearing a freaking mascot of a high school team that you've had for three years. So you don't even notice you're wearing that. You don't even put that together, right? But the person looks like they are a genius and are a psychic because they're they're picking up on this. Meanwhile, you could you might as well have told them that you have kids in high school or that just graduated. You know, it's interesting. We're we're going back and forth with all these stories of like interesting people we've interacted with either recently or relatively recently. Sure. And almost all of them are engaging in some kind of fraudulent Deception. or criminal activity. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So is it and 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 just like true crime is the the highest ranked podcast category for the past couple of years. And like you say, by far, I wonder if it's basically, you know, obviously people like kind of controversy and darkness more than they like going to church or whatever. So, so it's just an interesting thing that, that interesting experiences usually implies something bad. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think part of it is we love to be at the edge of a world or get a glimpse into a world that we don't necessarily want to step into, 
Right, because if you look at stuff that's popular on YouTube, not all of it, of course, but if you look at a lot of the stuff that's popular on YouTube, a lot of it will be, yeah, like you said, true crime, or it'll be a, 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 a story of somebody that did some amazing thing or some terrible thing. Mafia stories are incredibly popular, right? Even now, when the secret's out, you know, those guys weren't necessarily good and they're very uh, unhappy with their lives and all this stuff. My Sammy the Bull Gravano interview was really popular. And people are like, this guy is so interesting. He's a great storyteller. But I, I almost feel like they missed the end of the interview because one of the things that he says at the end is I said, what would you wh what would you say to all these people who worship and love the mafia guys? And he's like, yeah, you know, he said one thing. And then I said, but really, what would you say if somebody says, hey, I want to join the mafia. This is a great way to live. And he goes, no, it sucks. You kill your friends. You kill your friend, family. You kill everybody you love. You make a bunch of money. You can't tell anybody what you do. You have to hide. Somebody's kind of going to come for you, whether it's the feds or somebody you love is just going to shoot you in the back of the head on a holiday. And then you go to prison and you come out and you're broke. And he's like, sure, you want to join the mob? Go ahead, ruin right. your life. I mean, he was really fired up about this. And it was like, there was no... I was, I just thought it was such an interesting takeaway. And of course, all the comments on YouTube are like, oh, the mafia is so awesome. I'm thinking, man, the last five minutes, did you make it that far? He, he literally said, do pretty much anything else in your life aside from join the mafia. But what, you know, what are you thinking? What are you doing? That's, that's funny. Well, look, uh, Jordan, I know, uh, you, you, you have a busy schedule today. I don't want to uh, but it's it's always fascinating to talk to you. We had no plan for this podcast none. at all. I don't think we had a plan. No, no. We always have great episodes, and I really enjoy talking to you. And and we should definitely catch up off podcast at some point. But uh, would love you that. Know, a lot of my episodes the past few weeks have been about recommending things for 2023. I do recommend anyone who hasn't yet tried it listen to many episodes of the Jordan Harbinger Show. And uh, Jordan, thanks once again for for coming on the podcast and talking about the darkness in all of us. Thank you. Yeah, I would love to stay longer, but I actually have to pick up my parents from the airport. Uh, so I didn't, it wasn't one of those, I only have this much time for you. It was low, literally my mom is probably waiting on a platform at the airport. Um, by the way, episode 282 is uh, of the Jordan Harbinger show is the one with Ken Perenni, the art forger, 282. And the fake psychic was 413. Just so people aren't like, how do you spell Perenni? Because it is weird spelling. And, and I'd love to hear what people think because you're right. There is some sort of obsession with this person committed a crime and they did a bad thing and we're going to hear about it. And, they're and, gonna and tell a secret. weird crime. He didn't yeah. just like, you know, uh, I don't know what a, what a non-weird, he didn't just like mug somebody. Right, he's not he like, a, yeah. He doesn't be- Forged art. Yeah. Perfect art for the mafia. Forged and art. ran to Amsterdam. Fake psychics. Yeah, the Jewel Thief episode was really good. Larry Lawton, he talked about how he plan how he plans- to attack a jewelry store. And he's there, man, these guys, because the, here's the thing about these criminals, man. There, some of them are so good at what they do that you think, man, if you'd applied this to something else, you would have been really, really good at that too. So the jewelry store thing, one of the things that was really amazing is he said, I always, I always do the same time. And he, he would go there weeks in advance, get a hotel room, stake the place out, whatever, look at how the employees go, where they hide the money, all this stuff. And then he'd say, but then I go, at, I think it was like 4 p.m., because the sun shines in such a way, and it's during a certain season only, it shines in such a way that old security cameras would always have glare on them, and it would be like impossible to look at the tapes. Wow. And he timed that it. That is an interesting detail. Yeah, and I was like, wow. He really knew that, 
from looking at security tapes because I believe he would steal the tapes uh, one, originally to like get rid of the tapes. And then he was like, wait a minute, I don't even need to steal the tapes because during this hour, you can't even use them. It's useless. So he's like, I don't have to break open the other thing and then get the tapes. I just have to leave. And they won't even know. I they'll have no idea how this happened or that I was here. Crazy. That's fascinating. Super level of detail. Yeah. And just like the just like the uh, Ken Peroni with the with the varnish, mm -hmm. like how he right. was able to replicate that. Like like you have to be hardcore to be good at criminal activity. I think at some so, point for these guys, it's the craft. It's they're just so mm -hmm. good at it that they're in the flow state and they really love it, and it just happens to be a crime. And it starts off as it's lucrative. But it ends up being almost like it's it's art sometimes literally for them. And in the case of the jewel thief, he really just enjoyed it. He never his thing was I've never had to be violent. I never had to follow through on a threat. I never had to do anything but scare people. And he's like, and even then I took it easy. Now he may be rewriting history. Who knows? We'd have to talk to the victims to find out. But I think at some point these guys just really enjoy what they do. And it happens to be a crime, not really the other way around, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's so interesting. Well, to hear more of these stories, <laughs> check out Jordan at the Jordan Harbinger Show. Jordan, Thank you. pick up your parents. Yes. Family first. Family first. And let's talk soon. Thank you, brother. Talk to you soon. Take care. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.